let's turn to God's Word to 1 John. 1 John and chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 7 to verse 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Lord, this is Your Word. We ask that You would bless it to us, and that each of us, from the youngest to the oldest, would know what it means when You tell us that You are love. May we experience and know that. In Your name we ask it. Amen. Okay. Um, What I'm going to do again with any of the, the children as well, it's every now and then I'll, I'll, I might just stop and speak to you. You can listen to the whole lot as well. The reason I'm going to speak to you is two reasons. First of all, it's the only way the grown-ups understand things, because they all sit there and they pretend, but actually they learn more from when I talk to you, I think, than anything else. But also, this is a great, great thing about God's Word. And I'm just wondering if any of the children here know how many people live in Dundee? Hmm... Anyone got a rough idea? I should ask maybe how many, if any grown-ups know how many people live in Dundee. How many, Rowan? 200,000. No, a bit less. Joss? How many people live in Dundee, do you think? Yeah, that's close. That'll do. Give or take money, Feath. That'll do. Yeah. Okay. How many people live in Scotland? How many people live in Scotland? Who knows how many people live in Scotland? Catherine? Four and a half million. That's close too. That's kind of, if you take Edinburgh out of Scotland, that would be right. Four and a half million. There's, there's five million people live in Scotland. And how many people live in Great Britain? Ooh, that's getting bigger numbers now. Okay, Eden? 60 million. Yeah, add another five million. If you take Scotland out, which some people will want to do, 60, 65 million. Okay, this is getting harder. How many people live in Europe, including Russia? Because we count that as Europe. So, how many people live in Europe? Just. Mm. 330 million. I think that's right. I actually don't know. <laughs> I think that's, I, I honestly, I think that's right. I think it's about 330, and I think you add the Russians to that. How many people live in the whole world? Hmm. Anyone know? Four billion. No, keep going. Higher. Joss? Six billion. I'm, yeah, I think it must be heading towards the seven, but six billion. That's 6,000 million people. That's a huge, huge number of people. And that's on this one planet. And you know, lots of people would think, I'm just one person, just one tiny person 
in this city. Dundee's quite a small city, really, in this small country. Scotland's a small country. In the United Kingdom, in Europe, in the whole world, 6,000 million people. Who, who would pay any attention to me? Who would know about me? Sometimes we feel if we're in a, a school class where there's maybe 30 children, that that seems an awful lot, but 6,000 million people. We're just tiny. And yet, what we're reading about just now, John says that God knows and God loves us. And I think for all of us, it's a big, big question. How can we talk about God loving us when we live in such a vast world, but also we live in a world of such suffering? I think that this is where these verses, although they're very familiar for a lot of people, they really are amazing. So, we're going to think, consider three things. First of all, where does love come from? That's the really interesting. Dear friends, lo- let us love one another. And if any of the children have got a Bible, you'll be able to tell me because the next verse tells you where love comes from. It says, for love comes from what or who? Where does love come from? Eden. God. Love comes from God. Now, that is hugely important. Love is not, first of all, human in origin. It comes from God. In fact, that statement, God is love, is the greatest fact you will ever learn. It means more than God is loving. It means more than God sometimes love. It means that it is the nature of God to love. God loves not because He finds objects that are worthy of His love, but because He is love. And that's actually a really, really hard thing for us to grasp. Now, in that sense, that's where the Trinity is really important. How can God be love? Because in order to love, you have to be able to love something. But who did God love before there were any human beings created? Who did God love before the beginning of the universe? How can we say that God is love? Did God become love when He created the universe? No, He is love. And that's where the the teaching of the Trinity is really, really important because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in what one person calls a dynamic interrelationship of love, there is that love that is always going on. God doesn't need us to love us. There is within God a self-consistency, a love, the love that the Father has for the Son. This is my Son whom I love, the love that the Son has for the Father, the love that the Spirit has. It's a when we speak of a triune God, we don't mean three gods, we mean one God, but three persons, and part of that, understanding of that, helps explain when we talk about God being love. God loves because that is His nature. It cannot be earned, and it cannot be deserved. So, we know that God loved the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, God particularly chose that nation to bless. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7, we read this, the Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your forefathers, that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God loved the Israelites, not because they were great people, 
not because they were better people than the people around them, not because God needed them, but because God is love. And that's very, very important for us if we're trying to understand why would God love me? Because you can think of other people who are better than you. God doesn't love anyone because we are good. He doesn't love us because we are beautiful. He doesn't love us because He needs us. He doesn't love us because we've got a more likable or more lovable personality than other people. He loves because He loves. There's, there, there actually is no explanation and, in a sense, no reason for it. And that's what John is saying, that God is the source of love as God is the source of light, that it's just in His nature. And it says here that um, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What does that mean? Does that mean, for example, as some would want to teach, that every time you see love in a human being, that that means that they are a spiritual person or that they have spiritual life or that they have God living within them? No. This is what it means. It means that the capacity to love is part of being made in the image of God. The Bible says that we as human beings are made in God's image. It means that loving human relationships are part of God's common grace. In other words, we're not just saying that it's only Christians who show love. We're saying that non-Christians can show love as well. Normal human relationships can have that because they're made in God's image, because it's part of God's common grace. But that is not to be confused with knowing God and loving God. Or our love, if you like, is distorted and twisted unless it's done within the context of the God who is love. And what John is talking about here especially is Christian love for our brothers and sisters, that special quality of God's love, of divine love, which should characterize Christian fellowship. So, we have different kinds of love, but one, the love that he is speaking of here, he's talking about the relationship that exists between Christians and that should exist between Christians and should develop and should grow. If you've come into the church here and you think, well, what's the church about? Is it about a group of people just coming and going through a worship service and then going away? Is it about getting some moral teaching from the Bible? Is it about hearing some religious stuff? Is it about insurance policy for after you die? None of these things. What it's about is coming to worship God and worship Him together with His people, being His people because of uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, and because of that, we then have uh, a relationship with one another. So, when we ask simply that question, where does love come from? It comes from God. Where is the love that we are to have for one another? How is that going to come about? It must come from God. It doesn't come about because we're all such lovable people. I, I actually take a great deal of comfort for this, because if I worked on the assumption that you would have to love me because I'm lovable, um, I, I may end up in trouble, and you'd probably end up in trouble as well. We'd all go around trying to make ourselves as lovable as possible and just really annoying people. 
It just, it just doesn't work. But we love because we are reflecting the nature of God because God is love. But John knows that we need to define that a bit more, so he then asks this, how do you know God loves you? Okay, let me go back to the children again. How do you know that anyone loves you? How do you know that your mom loves you? How do you know that? Or your dad? Hmm. How do you know? Do you know? They look after you. That's great. Yeah, of course. They look after you. That's one thing. Any other thing, any, anything you can think of that would make you realize that somebody loved you, anybody loved you? How would you know that they love you? Eden? They hug you? Great. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. To, I don't go around hugging people I don't love. I'm going to reserve the hugs. Okay. They tell the truth. Yeah, if they love you, they tell the truth about you. They don't lie to you. These are great answers. I've got whole sermons out of all of these. That's brilliant. Anything else? How do you know that they love you? Hmm. Sometimes they give you what? They give you punishment so that you're not spoiled. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You got it. That's great because that's a real sign. The Bible says that about God as well. It says that God loves us. He says, those whom God loves, he disciplines. That's what we call, that's what you're saying. That's excellent. Josiah. Discipline, yep, that's it. They give you discipline. And they also, they, they give you presents as well, as well, because you love somebody, you give them a present. You know, that's, that's one of the ways that you know. Well, how do we know that God loves us? It's easy enough to say, verse 9 says this, this is how God showed his love among us. How did God show his love? He died. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his son that we might live. This is how God showed his love. We only know the love of God through the coming of Jesus. And the death of Jesus is seen as the public appearance of God's love for us. It's an astonishing statement of love. Sometimes you'll see um, if somebody wants to marry somebody and they want to display their love, they might hire a plane and they put a big banner and take off from Dundee Airport. And I see some of the guys here are going, yeah, this is a good idea. Uh, and the banner behind it says, you know, I love you, Joanne, or whatever. You know, they put it light up in the sky or I think Annabelle would probably get pretty embarrassed in this if I went and put a, a, a big banner on the end of Shamrock Street saying, I love you, Annabelle. Um, you know, that's what people think, well, that's showing love. But actually, it's not. What you, God's big banner, if you like, God's plane in the sky, God's great statement of love is seen in sending Jesus and in what Jesus did. Life in the full sense comes to us through him, through him alone. John chapter 17, verse 3. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In order for us to truly live, we need to know God, and to know God, we need to know Jesus. We need to know the love of both. God is love and Jesus is love. So, but how do we measure that love? 
He showed His love by sending His Son, but this is love, verse 10 says, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The real meaning of love and the real meaning of life is to be found only in the cross of Christ. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And again, let me say this to the children. Uh, I want you to get that verse. You should all know that verse. There are lots of verses in the Bibles. It's good for you to know, but you should know that one. God so loved the world. Sometimes uh, I remember being told as a child, instead of the world, just put your own name in there. God so loved David that He sent His only Son that David should not perish, and so on. And you can do that as well. How do we know that God loves us? He sent His Son. And notice it says that He sent His one and only Son. Sending a Son, if you've got dozens of them, is one thing. Sending His only Son is another. But the depth of that, how much God loves us, how we measure the love of God, and Paul says that He wants us to grasp how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ, to know this love. The depth of that is seen in this amazing teaching in verse 10 about Jesus being the atoning sacrifice, or as we saw when we looked at this earlier in the earlier chapters, it's a word meaning propitiation. Let me just uh, put that up there. He dies, and that propitiates. Now, what that word means is He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice. It's, it's just simply this. It's that God was rightly angry at the sin in the world, which is our sin, which so harms and so hurts and so destroys this world. He's angry at it, and rightly so. He has to punish it, He has to, by His nature in terms of being God. He has to. But He does so through His own Son who suffers punishment for us. You'll notice here the negative. This is love. And then it's an emphatic here. Not that we loved God. This is love. It's not that we loved God. You don't begin looking for love in humanity. You don't begin looking... uh, in terms of it being our initiative or even God's response to us. We've not gone to God saying, God, do this. God, do that. The initiative is God's. He has come to us. Again, if you think of it in terms of uh, getting engaged or getting married or some kind of suitor, it's not as though we're the person who has gone, we're the bride who's gone uh, to the potential bridegroom and basically made ourselves so attractive and, and kept dro- dropping continual hints that eventually the bridegroom g- goes, okay, will you marry me? It is the other way around. It is somebody who is unloved, someone who is undeserving, whom the, the groom seeks out and asks, will you marry me? We do not deserve the love of God. We just do not deserve it, and you you will have enormous problems if you think you can either earn God's love or you deserve God's love. You can't, but it's, that's what John is saying. He's, He's saying, it's not that we have loved, 
but it's that God is love and God has love. And in fact, in order to understand God's love, we have to see ourselves as sinners and thus the objects of God's anger, and yet as those for whom Christ died. James Denny in his book, The Death of Christ, says this, so far from finding any kind of contrast between love and propitiation, the apostle can convey no idea of love except by pointing to the propitiation. You see, in churches throughout the land today, this morning, people will be being taught this. God is love. That means that God can't be angry. And that there are these really nasty people who belong to a medieval time who believe that Jesus had to be sacrificed on the cross to appease an angry God. And that's just terrible because that means that God is love. And they think that they are being loving. But what they're actually doing is they're detracting from the meaning of God being love. They're just turning it into something sugary and spineless and meaningless. How do I know that God loves me? I know because He gave His only Son. The only way out was at infinite cost to the Son He loves. We magnify the love of God, not by denying the cross, not by denying the atonement and the necessity of the the atonement, but by magnifying the love of God when we see the tremendous cost. John Milton, in his book Paradise Lost, uh, has this. I think this is a great question. It's discussing, the angels discussing in heaven and saying, unless for him, how can, basically asking, how can human beings come into the presence of God? Unless for him, some other able and does willing pay the rigid satisfaction, death for death. Say, heavenly powers, where shall we find such love? Which of ye will be mortal to redeem man's mortal crime and just the unjust to save? Dwells in all heaven charity so dear. And what Milton has the angels asking is just simply this. Is there a love this deep, even in heaven? And the answer that we're given in 1 John is, yes, there is. There is a love that is so deep that it can deal with the darkest and the deepest and the ugliest of our sins. He died for our sins. They are dealt with. They are forgiven. We have eternal life. We become the children of God, and therefore, we are able to love. And I know that for some of you, the the, the idea that God is love and the understanding of that, you you kind of want to say, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, I know that. Now get on to something practical. But you have to keep coming back to it because it is a really, really, really hard thing to grasp because psychologically, because internally, because in yourself, uh, the way I feel about this often is I will earn something with God. If I come to church enough, if I pray enough, if I don't do bad things, then God will love me. And it is really hard to grasp this truth, and I still find this difficult, but I do believe it's true. I think I first heard it from um, Tim Keller, actually, expressing it in this way. There is nothing that you can do that will make God love you less, and there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. You have to think very carefully about that one. But how do you know God loves you? You know not because you're healthy. You know not because He gives you a big thumbs up because you've done well. You know because Jesus died on the cross for your sin. There's nothing Paul puts it brilliantly in Romans 8. He says, how will he not also along with Christ freely give us all things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also give us everything? 
You can't ask for anything more. You might have a relationship with someone. How do you know they love you? Well, I just want to see how much they're going to give me, how much time they give me, how much money they give me, how much of their life they give me. And maybe all of our lives in our relationships, we're looking and we're wondering, saying, I wonder how much they really, really, really love me. In Jesus, we start off with the relationship which says, He loves me beyond anything I will ever really grasp or understand. He died for me. Okay, verses 11 and 12. Let's just ask what that means. Again, let me ask the boys and girls. When somebody loves you, how do you feel? When someone tells them you love you, Catherine. Happy, of course. And if someone, and if, if you feel that you're not loved by anybody, how do you feel? Eden. Sad, yeah. Do you know that, do you, do you know that song, Nobody Loves Me, Everybody Hates Me, Think I'll Go and Eat Worms? No? Okay, you know that one, yeah. Big, fat, juicy ones, at least, you know that. You're just, you're so depressed that, that you just think, nobody. It's a really horrible feeling when nobody loves you. It's a really great feeling when someone loves you. And when people love you, it helps you to love other people. And that's what we're saying up there. That's what John says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, you'll see the order of this. It doesn't say love one another so that God will love you. It says God loves you, so love one another. You can be secure in God's love. If you don't, if you're a child and you know that your mom and your dad love you and you don't have to earn their love, then that gives you great freedom because then you're freer to love them back and freer to love other people. And it's the same in the Christian church. We are to love one another. We become a community of love. Verse 11 tells us that the mainspring of our love for other people is the love of God shown on the cross. In other words, we love other people because of what Jesus did on the cross. We also, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. In other, now, bear with this. We love people then because the people we meet, not because they're attractive people. You know, sometimes in a church, you, you meet people and you think, I don't like that person. I don't care. That's not the issue. You say, oh, I really like that person. I could really get to love. No, that's not the issue. Because what you find attractive in someone at some point will eventually go, will change. We love people because the love of God has changed us and made us like Him. It is in our nature to love. We should love not because other people attract us to love, but because the nature of God in us compels us to love. You know, one of these pathetic songs that goes, I can't help loving you. Well, it's rubbish because it's the old idea, I can't help loving you because you're so beautiful, because you're so attractive, because you're so stunning, because you're so gorgeous, because you're so kind, because you're so nice. The Christian version of that is, I can't help loving you because I'm made in the image of God, because Jesus died for me. And we have to love then like He loves. So if the love of God redeems us, if the love of God sets us free, if the love of God liberates us and strengthens us and ennobles us and gives us peace and joy, then if we are to love like God, our love for other people 
will redeem them, will set them free, will strengthen them, will ennoble them, will give peace and joy. In other words, it's not a love that's a possessive love that says, I love you, therefore I control you, or I love you, therefore you are mine. It's a love which seeks the best for them. Instead of reacting in anger against people, instead of hating people, we find a way to break through in love. I think a lot of what we call love is just pale, shallow, cheap imitation. It's just not the real thing. Um, sorry to mention this again, but I had a, I've used this illustration many times, but I had an egg this morning. I just thought about it. It was an egg, who knows where, probably supposed to be free range. It was out at a supermarket. I mean, it was as pale and peely-wally as you could get. It was just awful. And just looking at me. And the reason why is because I've had the real things. Port Mahoma eggs from eggs from my, my, my parents' uh, home where the chickens just kind of roam around and all the rest of it. And th- the yolks of those eggs, the, the external part of those eggs are ugly. They're dirty. They're sometimes not very well shaped and, and, and so on. The supermarket eggs are absolutely perfect. But the inside of the Port Mahoma egg, eggs, they're rich and yellow and they taste fabulous. And once you've had real stuff like that, then the kind of imitation stuff, it's, it's just fake. You know that it's fake. I think this world is full of fake love. It's full of songs that are about fake love. It's full of people talking about community and fellowship and love and everything else, and it's fake, and it's shallow, and it's cheap, and it's meaningless, because it is not based on the love of God that is in Christ. And that is where in the church it should be. People are supposed to be able to look at the church and say, see how these Christians love one another. They're supposed to be able to see the love of God in us. If we love one another, look at what verse 12 says, absolutely astonishing. If we love one another… God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. No one's ever seen God. You're not going to see God. No one has ever seen God. When people say, oh, if only I could see God, I would believe, John says, no, no one has ever seen God. But if Christians love one another, people will see God. People will see that God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. What's the test of being a Christian? Is it that you love God? Or is the proof that you love God? How do you know you love God? That's easy to say, isn't it? I love God. It's like people can say, I have a great, great love for the Chinese people, and they never know any Chinese people, never don't speak to any Chinese people. It's easy to love something that's far, far away, and so people will say, I love God. It doesn't make any difference to them. John says, okay, you say you love God. Here's the proof. Do you love other people? Do you love especially your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if you don't, how can you say you love God? How can the love of God dwell in you? There are visions of God, but it's in Christ that we see God. And when we love, God lives in us. and Indeed, his love is made complete in us. I think that hard-nosed, cynical, 21st century Britain really do need to see the love. There's a song that Neil McMillan absolutely loved and dared me to play it in church one time. Couldn't find it otherwise. I might have done. The Black Eyed Peas, Where is the Love? Well, we should be able to see it's here. I'll tell you where it's not. It's not when you walk in the center of town 
in Dundee. The love's not there. And it's not as uh, yesterday was in the mega PC world, Curry's, whatever. Where's the love? It's not in the 44-inch screen TVs and the people desperate to sell you stuff. The love is not there. It should be here. It should be amongst God's people. And I think this is an astonishing claim, that God's love is made complete in us. In chapter 2 and verse 5, he says God's love is made complete when we obey the Word. Here is saying God's love is made complete in us when we love. Now, that's, those two things go together. The Word and the love of God are tied together. So, it's an astonishing, it's an astonishing statement that is being made. Love comes from God. We know that God loves us because He gave His one and only Son for us as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And since that is the case, since God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. We ought to love our Christian brothers and sisters in the same way, not like, not love so that we can get something, but just love freely, love it because it's our nature. That's why we need a renewed nature. That's why we need to be born again, because we don't naturally do that. And as we do that to our Christian brothers and sisters, we also like God because God sends His love upon the just and upon the unjust. We love other people. We just can't help loving other people. Now, some of you I know are not Christians, and you'll say, ah, I'm not there. Well, you're not there. You need to come to know God. You need to come to know Jesus. If you don't grasp something of the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ on the cross and what He did, you you can't love as a Christian. You need to get that sorted. But some of us are Christians, and we're being honest, and we're saying, I'm fairly cynical. I'm fairly hard-hearted. I don't love people in that way. The solution to that is not to go out and tell you, go out and love them. The solution to that is simply this. Go and look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus did. If you say you love Jesus, if you've been born again of the Holy Spirit, if you belong to God, then the nature of God, which is love, will be in you, and you will find you'll find it impossible not to love people. Now, loving people is a great burden. When you don't love people, it's easy. You can just let them walk on by. But when you love people, it's a great, great burden. But it's also a great joy. And uh, I hope, my prayer is that, that we will be uh, a community of God's love, putting up with all our foibles, putting up with all the annoying bits, all the annoying habits. You know when you get married to somebody and you say you're going to love them forever and all that, and then you discover all these things about them that really irritate and annoy you. Tough. That's what happens when you become a Christian and you become part of the church. You don't join this perfect community where everybody basically is what you want them to be. You join a bunch of messed up people who are just like you, and we love one another because that is our nature, because that's the new nature that God has given us. Maybe so.